Um, all right. Wow, I'm really doing this. <laughs> I don't usually come to this meeting, um, so I don't know how other speakers have done it, but I have notes so that I don't wander. And even though I'm not looking at you, you'll be glad I stay on task. I joined OA in 2017. Uh, the first meeting I went to, I was terrified that I wouldn't be allowed to stay because I had no visible weight issues. Luckily, thanks to Tradition 3, that the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively, I was allowed to stay. After about six months, I had the courage to ask someone to be my sponsor who said yes, and I began working the steps and to experience recovery. Uh, I, my food issues did not start in my family of origin. I had a pretty healthy upbringing. I was the oldest of three kids. I have two younger brothers. We're, we're close as a family. We, we get along. We like each other. Um, it's, it wasn't perfect. My dad had a bout of depression that lasted a couple of years when I was 14, and that was tough on all of us. Um, and my younger brother and I have also struggled with depression. That said, I, I didn't have any eating issues growing up. It started in 1983 when I agreed against my better judgment to get married earlier than I intended. And as soon as I said yes to getting married, what I thought I agreed to and what started happening diverged. And, and I found myself very alone. And the way I managed that is I got very, very busy. I threw myself into community service and community organizing. And the only breaks I would give myself primarily were eating. And so it became a place of self-soothing and relaxation, except of course, as we all know, when you eat too much, it comes back, it comes back to you hard. Let's see. I, I did start to notice in the 80s that, uh, that this pattern of eating to such physical di discomfort would lead to sleep issues, which led to more craving of sugar, fat, and salt. And uh, because physiologically that can happen when we lack of sleep. I wanna um, pause here and just say I'm also a sugar addict and I wanna just mention what goes on there. Also, when I got married, I started to experience symptoms of chronic candida. And for those of you who don't know, the most common is vaginal discharge. I also, it's a, fung, it's a systemic fungal infection. And, and um, I got thrush, which is a yellow, I mean, a white fungus on your tongue and your mouth. You get a, I get a sinus infection that's impervious to antibiotics. And it also gives me the runs and, and, to this day, you know, super refined sugar has a really dramatic effect. You know, if I eat fruit that's not very sweet, it's a minor effect. That said, I still live with this condition. And that, that bacteria, that fungus in me um, definitely makes me crave sugar as well. So what brought me to my knees here was a chocolate addiction. Um, let me just make sure. At some point in the early 2000s, uh, 
I, well, actually in the late nineties, I noticed mood swings, difficulty in sleeping, fatigue, and, and there would, I didn't drink coffee and tea because they would both give me the shakes. I leaned on chocolate as a form of caffeine. Um, and I, when I noticed these effects, I started to see if I could eat healthier chocolate and if that would decrease the impact and it did a little bit, but not enough. So let me just speak about the financial impact. You know, I had a habit that was costing me three fifty to $7 a day. I started to see an acupuncturist in the 90s to ameliorate some of the symptoms and it worked a lot. And at that time with my husband's successful business, I could afford to go to an acupuncturist twice a week. And then in the late 90s, I added this nutritional chiropractor that had supplements that also helped ameliorate this. And I figure at some point I was spending $300 a week or $1,200 a month or $14,400 a year, which I could not sustain, especially. Oh, I know what I was going to say. So if I was so alone in this marriage, um, why did I stay? Because I stayed for 11 years um, until actually he left. And um, I had someone when I was 17 who I looked to as a spiritual teacher who told me that the success of any marriage lies solely with the wife. If the wife was spiritually fit, the marriage would succeed. If the marriage failed, it was the wife's fault. And I didn't want to be a spiritual failure. At 17, I had just had gone on an outward bound trip where they have like a three-day solo without food. I was in the high Sierras and I had a, a spiritual awakening, this experience where my little egoic self dropped away. And not only did I feel connected to everything in the earth, it felt connected to the universe, whatever was still aware at that point. And, and I went, when I, after that experience, I went from being a fairly normal rebellious teenager to being an earnest spiritual seeker. And I didn't want to spiritually fail. And so I did get quite depressed. And I mean, it was the loneliest period of my life, that marriage and mercifully he left after 11 years. And at that point I had a three-year-old child. So that's why that all carried on so long is because I was terrified of being a spiritual failure at that point. So, um, so even though I was doing all these things and chocolate was ripping me apart, I still didn't know how to frame the issue. I, I still didn't understand that I had an eating disorder because I was staying busy as I could. And the gift of OA is helping us, helping me understand this disease. It, it's given me multiple tools and lenses from which to better understand and turn over the compulsion of this disease. And eating was just one of my compulsions. Um, fear and perfectionism, and I would say perfectionism as a way to manage fear, were two other compulsions I came in with. And I think maybe around 2009, a friend I'll call Sally gave me a book to pass on to my then choir director. I was part of a little volunteer amateur choir. Turns out my choir director was on vacation for six weeks. The book was on women and food issues. And I, I read the book just out of curiosity. And that was the first time I actually realized that I had a food problem. At that point, I had just finished a four-year healing modality training, and I thought maybe I could heal myself on this issue, and I couldn't, um, which was very humbling. 
Uh, and it, it's kind of ironic that it took that book, even though this disease had been crippling me for over two decades. Um, and even though that book helped, it didn't address my particular motivations, my resentments, my fears that were driving this disease. Um, my reaction, physical reactions to chocolate worsened. Um, I started to get feedback from friends and my husband when I ate it that I was just irritable and bossy. Every time I went in the grocery store, I was filled with terror of how out of control I was. By the time after I pick up the chocolate bar in the store, I would finish it before I got to the counter. And I always prided myself that I would pay for it with the wrapper, but that's how bad it was. And sometimes I would finish two chocolate bars before getting to the counter. Um, I when I when I arrived on Oa's doorstep, I was totally defeated. I cried often during my shares when I first attended meeting and these tears were of relief and of releasing shame. Through these podcasts, I've heard many different approaches to working the steps, uh, particularly step four. You know, some people do it in six weeks. My sponsor had me write down every resentment I could possibly think of. And then we went very slowly and carefully over each one using the questions in the big book. Um, what did it do to all aspects of my life, whatever I was resentful about, and then slowly being able to see where I didn't see that I had choices of different behavior myself. Um, and then we did the same thing with fears and wrongs doing, and it took a total of about two and a half years. Somewhere about eight months into this process, I just stopped eating chocolate. And it felt like a miracle because I wasn't even paying attention to it. And it really was a miracle. I uh, didn't know, like, when you hear about the fourth step, you think, oh, no, I'm going to have to show somebody all my faults. But rather than it being a coulda, shoulda, woulda, there was an amazing amount of forgiveness and acceptance in the way that I did this step with my sponsor. Uh, and, and the more I forgave and accepted myself, the more I felt I could receive guidance, higher powers guidance. And uh, the more I could, the less I judged myself, the more compassion I had for others. Um, and this is a lesson that keeps unfolding for me, that it's really my own self-judgment that interferes with higher powers healing. Um, Ten minutes. Ten minutes? Okay. I didn't have a food sponsor. Um, I made my red, yellow, and green list of foods, which I still use to this day. Uh, I was definitely afraid of reaching out to fellows. Um, and it was actually, I, I came to a Saturday meeting once for literature because our group didn't have literature. This is when we were meeting in person. And I signed up to be called. And that was the first time I ever had somebody call me just out of the blue. I didn't know when it was. And it made such a difference. And um, I think something in my heart opened up to that. And more people started leaving me messages. And I realized how bolstered I was, even if I didn't speak to someone. And so I've definitely learned to reach out more. And I have more to go in that way in terms of writing. 
Um, so I'm still learning to utilize the tools and I still know I fall into thinking I'm in control and can fall into defect default behaviors accordingly. It's funny, it, it feels like more of a habit and not a belief because I feel like I thoroughly don't believe that I'm in control anymore. That said, I'm 61 and old habits can die hard. Um, now that the chocolate obsession has ceased, I still find quantity of food an issue at times and reaching out to members when I know I'm going to be in a situation where I'm going to be with food where, you know, it's harder if I start. Um, that has definitely been helpful. And then just recently, my husband had knee replacement surgery at the end of May, and I had a couple other things that kind of came unexpectedly into my life that demanded a lot of attention. And I found myself again um, eating to take a time out and really noticing that this time and not letting it go on autopilot. That said, you know, it was a surprise and it was unusual circumstances. Um, I would also say for me, interacting with the steps daily has been really important to me. Um, not just the 10th step of reviewing the day or the meditation, or like today, being willing to overcome my fears and do some service, um, whatever that might be. There's also um, this humbly asking. And if I don't do that every day, and it's not necessarily, you know, a formal, just reading the steps, it requires a little more of me. If there's like a, a softening of my heart, um, which is like a reset to connect to higher power uh, in realizing that I'm not in control and the relief that comes from that, you know, being a recovering perfectionist and, you know, that fear obsession that ran it and that still does sometimes. This just landing in my heart, you know, being entirely ready and then asking feels like a very powerful daily practice. And I notice when I forget. So I don't know when it dawned on me, like maybe just a year or so ago that I didn't have to go to a meeting to hear the steps. <laughs> I know that sounds silly, but I, I just realized like, oh, you can do that every day for yourself. And um, so my experience is that this program offers infinite growth, that the steps can just deepen in ways that we can't imagine. And, uh, you know, in some ways, I feel like my share is not that profound because I've only been here since 2017. And I really, really appreciate the people in the groups that I go to that have been around for 20 and 30 years. And it gives me something to look forward to. I really admire the recovery and their wisdom. And um, I'm just so grateful to be here. So, uh, Judy, who recruited me, said to pick a theme. And the theme that's really been working in me the most is that phrase from On Awakening, the, mo the more total our surrender, the more fully realized our freedom from food obsession. And I noticed early on that I could 
think and say, I surrender, or I turn over my life and will to the care of God as I understand God. That said, nothing happened. There wasn't an integration into the heart and into the gut and into my, to the rest of me. And so I'm, I'm very curious how people have learned to surrender or turn over that will. Um, because surrender itself is a giving up of a will. So I think, I hope I've made clear that for me, it, it has to do with a, going into, a, into my heart, like this softening and opening up, which I can't do if I'm feeling self-judgment. So I need to, you know, one of the phrases that helps me a lot is nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. So that can help me just like, okay, you're not a mistake. Let's soften here and see what's possible today. And uh, if, I, if I don't remember to do that, there's usually some incident during the day <laughs> that trips me up and makes me pause and do that. Or, you know, at the end of the day, like somewhere during the day it happens. So um, I think that's, that's all I have to say. Um, I'm just really grateful for this program and for recovery and for future recovery as it continues. <laughs>